0: Onto today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Nicole Ragland to the show. Influenced and informed by time spent with the Indigenous. In multiple countries, Ragland continues to engage in a long-term photographic and film exploration into humanity's relationship to culture and the wild, recognizing culture to be an accumulation of ideas where we explore ways of exploring. This infinite play is where she's found the best terrain to collaborate, listen carefully, and recognize expansion due to authoring and co-authoring. In addition, Nicole has founded Regenerate Oklahoma. A statewide soil health initiative that seeks to advance the practices of regenerative agriculture. Nicole, how are you doing today?
1: I'm well, Raj. Thank you. Glad to be with you.
0: Nicole, thank you for joining. Nicole, before I get into the topic of regenerative farming, I'd like to explore your background in photography. Can you share with us some of your experiences in photography and the travels you've taken?
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I grew up, um, really loving photography, collecting books. Um, I think I'm an inherent observer. I was, I was really quiet as a kid and, um, just was always looking. It was really, really part of my nature to really watch and collect photography books as a kid growing up. And then, um, took some classes in grade school and high school and, um, I actually ended up studying environmental science at the University of Denver and um, got my last few credits actually in Nepal. I was, I was working for the World Wildlife Fund, um, doing environmental survey work, and all the while really being 22, 23 at the time. And um, that was my first really third world adventure, and as you and I'm sure many folks listening in if they've had the opportunity to do so it's, it's a, it's an experience that really takes you out of your comfort zone and your own habitual perception. And, um, instead of doing all the environmental work that I was supposed to be doing, which was tree diversity and seed dispersal and and tourist impact, um, I was taking pictures. All I wanted to do was take pictures. And so it was really my, my wake up call, um, to incorporating story and and imagery and and focus on storytelling in relationship to environmental work and environmental stories. Um, And so consequently, I came back to Colorado at the time, and I went to the Art Institute of Colorado for Photography. And that was mid-90s. And uh, really focused on obviously coming from doing environmental work, wanted to do more national and international study, and and so, yeah, I ended up working for different uh, nonprofits um, from here in Oklahoma to Colorado, California, um, and then all over the world, and doing a lot of work with indigenous communities, and from East Timor to Indonesia to East Africa, India, uh, Southeast Asia, and um, really, I think, focused on, on telling stories in relation to uh, the art of us and, and humanity's relationship to the wild and culture and really our deep connection to, to place. So yeah, it's been quite a journey about 20, 20 years now um, of telling stories in the environment and, and specifically human beings in relation to our connection to culture and place, um, has really been my love and, um, quite an adventure for quite some time. Yeah.
0: Can you share a, perhaps a story or two regarding, you know, human beings connection to place?
1: Yeah. Um, I was really blessed to spend time with a tribe in, in East Africa called the Hadzabe, and they're one of the last remaining tribes of hunter gatherers, um, certainly in Africa, but definitely in the world. And, have a direct link to original human beings 50,000 years ago um, and particularly in this, in this area. And um, I was lucky enough to, to get there at a time um, when there wasn't so much encroachment on this particular tribe of a lot of tourism, as you can imagine um, with the Maasai and um, different pastoralists in the, in the region. And um I have spent several weeks. We were camping with them and, and doing, playing charades and sitting around a fire and singing and um, sharing granola bars and hunting and gathering and a lot of walking and listening and, and, and really learning that particular culture. And um, consequently, I was, I was working with a, a friend on the ground there who's from there and he's fluent in Swahili. They speak Hadzani, their native, native language, but several speak. Um, Swahili and my my friend Ethan was translating for me and um, we were sitting once with an elder and (laughs) believe it or not, someone from the Tanzanian government thought it would be a good idea to take one of these elders or suggest to an elder um, to be part of an archery tournament in South Korea. And this gentleman said, "Sure, yeah, I'll go to South Korea." And you know, I just want to remind you that these are people that you know—they they own nothing; they share everything. Um, they move camps based on kills. Um, there's no please and thank you in their language because everything is around sharing and and really collective living. And um, and you know, they're hunters. And so you when know, I would see four year olds that could you know, shoot birds 200 feet out of trees. It was just exquisite, Um, completely in touch with nature and just really extraordinary group of people. And so this, this gentleman said, yeah, I'll go to South Korea and participate in this archery contest. And so I'm thinking to myself, my God, like, I mean, South Korea, first world of trains and neon signs and cell phones and cars. And I mean, you can't imagine the culture shock. And so I said to him through, um, my friend Ethan, I said, you know, what did, what did you see? And he just gave this long, beautiful, um, elder pause. And he said, you know, I just, I didn't understand why everyone had their own plate of food. (laughs) And I, yeah, yeah. And it just, and I, I mean, it just, it completely stripped me of my own first world, you know, conditioning of consumption and all that I know in the first world and I mean and I said is that it <laughs> he was like yeah that's that's it I just didn't understand and it was just it was so telling and just you know a realization that that's where we once were you know of a direct line of, of total sharing knowing exactly where your food came from um and and living off the land so yeah that was That was a huge moment.
0: That really is amazing. I I took the note down here, own nothing and share Mm, everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no concept of ownership. I mean. Yeah.
0: Right. That that really is fascinating. Now, on your travels, did you ever feel unwelcome?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, different parts of the world, different cultures, um, you know, not everyone comes in in understanding their impact. And that that's something that I, after many travels, really thought about in myself. Like, how how am I making a difference or influencing an area or region? How am I being sensitive and, and really considerate in relation to this particular place? I ate baboon <laughs> with the Huzzabi. That's something I never... Yeah, oh. which I mean it's just shocking to this day, but in consideration of their particular culture, um, that was a huge feast. It's a massive kill for them to to actually kill a baboon. And so to participate in that feast is, is in consideration of their culture and, and celebration of their culture. So, um, you know, it's, there's always a question, how do you enter knowing and doing enough research and, and listening, really listening and learning and building relationship and Singing songs and and figuring out really our commonalities that that can transcend differences in language and culture and and ultimately, that's that's the beautiful part is if you can get to that place that really is you know shared understanding between us, yeah,
0: it really is. I mean, they say when you free yourself from knowing your history, your past. You're open to all different kinds of new ideas, and I I feel like that's kind of what you did when you entered these different indigenous peoples, tribes, and areas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always the challenge. I mean, we 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 you know they say we don't see the world as it is; we see it as we are, and that's that's what I love so much about being a documentarian. Whether I'm documenting a farm in Minnesota or going into East Africa to learn about a tribe. I mean, I could certainly have an idea about a particular story based on my own conditioning, based on my reading, based on teachers, you know, it goes on and on. Or I can go in completely open-hearted and open-minded in order to really, really listen and I did have another interesting story. I worked with um, a group called the Daroba Fund. There was a gentleman called Dowdy Peterson who um, was actually asked by the tribe, many members of the tribe of the Hadzabi in Tanzania, um, to help them basically create an allotment of land from the Tanzanian government in order to for them to maintain their practice of hunting and gathering. And um, I had asked my partner if I could connect with him because I had you know, a handful of images and I wanted to try and make a difference. And I had a, a very naive and romantic idea about this particular tribe. I was I was enamored by their way of life, of owning nothing and sharing everything. And I, I sat down with him and... Um, native to Tanzania and just a really phenomenal human being. And I heard him say in Swahili to my partner and I, I was picking up just a little bit of Swahili. I don't, I don't know it at all. <laughs> it's a difficult language, but I could pick up his intonation and what he was saying. And he turned to my partner on the ground and he said, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time for another Mzungu that wants to change the world. And Mzungu is, is white person. And, and I felt it and I knew it. And my partner, you know, told me what he had said afterwards. And I've always really thought about that because, you know, again, we can come in as a very privileged white um, member of, of the United States and have an idea of, you know, changing the world of East Africa (laughs) through a tribe, you know, or we can, we can listen and, and learn and recognize the fact that You know, there's a lot of the Western world that is helping, you know, bicycles, getting them to hospitals and medical care. And I mean, there's just, there's so many things that are indicative of the truth on the ground. And so, um, yeah, that was a really confronting and a really important experience that I I hold true to my heart to this day.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And you mentioned changing the world and farms in Minnesota. I like to switch gears here How did you get involved in regenerative farming?
1: Yeah, so I was connected actually through my godfather, who's a functional medicine doctor, to uh, another functional medicine doctor called Dr. Zach Bush. Um, He's triple board certified in endocrinology, metabolism, hospice and palliative care. Really brilliant man and um, had been doing a lot of cancer research um, and was doing some work out of rural Virginia, and had a, a control group that he was focused on in, in studying cancer. And he put them all on a high alkaline diet. Um, many of which actually got even worse. And so he and his team went into our food system and said, you know, what is what's going on in our food system? And um, he came to the conclusion of a lot of detriment of these chemicals and, and primarily glyphosate. Um, glyphosate is the the culprit. That's the main toxin that's in Roundup. Um, very commonly used, and um, really has been s- the major player involved in the um, the rise in all these epidemics. Really, from the mid '90s of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer, um, ADHD. It just it goes on and on. Autism. Um, And much of which within functional medicine, as well as a lot of our medicine, medical practitioners are speaking to these days is, is the importance of the microbiome and that these diseases essentially are high inflammation. And so anyway, so Zach had an idea of doing a film and so he and I and his wife, Jen and our team basically did a a drive down the Mississippi river. He initially wanted to do um, water testing down the Mississippi river. Um, But like every documentary and what I was mentioning in terms of going in and having an idea of a story, that story really shifted um, once we started learning the farmers and, and specifically in the Midwest, so much of, of what we're dealing with in terms of the dead zone off the coast of Louisiana has to do with agricultural runoff. And so we, we just started learning kind of the truth of, of what's happening within our, Within our food system and the um, the pressure of of the use of chemicals for our farmers and and really what was happening to them and 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 consequently our land and our watersheds and so we put together a film called Farmer's Footprint that was released um, a few years ago and it really is it's a twenty minute short film uh, folks can watch it online at farmersfootprint and um, since then it's been turned into a nonprofit and. Having so many people around me dealing with chronic diseases and not having grown up with hearing about cancer hardly at all. And now every time I turn around, it's just a common a common, um, disease as well as, like I said, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, it's just, it's just skyrocketing. And I think it really is instigating a lot of people to, to ask questions, what is happening and what is the direct correlation and what are we eating and drinking and breathing and, you know, how, how can we individually and collectively make a difference within our food system? And so, um, so yeah, that was, that was really the beginning. And then Ever since so I've been, I've been shooting stories from black farming here in Oklahoma to folks in Kansas, Texas. I spent a month in Australia shooting for a group called RCS, um, really extraordinary group that have been working for 30 years. Uh, eight, I think between seven eight thousand farmers um, really transit, transitioning their land from conventional farming to regen. Um, really extraordinary model of of bringing farmers together to create collective groups to help in that process of transitioning and so learned a lot in Australia and then uh consequently have moved back to my family's ranch here in Oklahoma about 3 years ago and have found the soil health ambassadors here in Oklahoma um and recently started a soil health initiative called Regenerate Oklahoma so that that's been the process really in the last 3 years
0: And what are your hopes for the initiative Regenerate Oklahoma? Uh,
1: The hopes and the mission and and real intention is to bridge consumers to farmers, to, to create really unprecedented statewide media and education to consumers to understand why soil health matters, what the direct line is from soil health to human health, Um, to hyper-localize our food system so that people have a direct link to knowing who their regenerative producers are, as well as building out really strong regenerative agribusiness in the state um, and direct markets. We've got several organizations in in the state. The um, Noble Research Institute is doing phenomenal work on education for grazing lands um, the Conservation Commission, the Conservation District, the Grazing Land Coalition are really the bigger, statewide organizations. But we're really focused on reaching consumers and and getting stories out there and really detailed, intimate stories of of the truth of what farmers are shouldering through and and the pressures they feel from the government, from the chemical industry, and really supporting them by creating local markets so that people have um, a direct reach to chemical-free, regenerative regenerative
0: food. And how are you getting the message out to the ears and eyes of consumers?
1: Yeah, so obviously being a photographer and filmmaker, um, image and, and intimate, honest, vulnerable <laughs> stories of these farmers to consumers is, is really potent. And so... Through creating short films, photo essays, um, short stories through social media, newsletters. Um, one of my goals is, is just hero billboards across the state so people know names and faces of who producers are, where they're located, their specific story. So consumers really feel a direct line in, in knowing their farmer. That's, that's part of our goal.
0: And have you seen any inbound interest since you started the initiative?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um I think by virtue of the fact that all of us are are shouldering through this pandemic, there's one of the gifts of COVID. Um, some of the farmers many of the farmers that had a direct market in place, their market went up five hundred percent in, in twenty twenty. And so wow. I think, yeah, because really in dealing with with sickness anyway, coupled with the pandemic, people are really asking questions of, of where does my food come from? And and really also too, because of, you know, the, the bottlenecks of the food system that really revealed themselves, you know, in, in cold so- cold storage and distribution and getting food to consumers has obviously been challenging. And so um, we're going to have to really hyper-localize anyway. We might as well be creating clean, chemical-free, hyper-local markets. So- yeah, there, there definitely is interest. And, and farmer's markets are just really on the rise, which is really exciting. And yeah, there definitely is real, very strong interest for sure.
0: Now, the crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. You mentioned your conversation with uh, Dr. Zach Bush. What about that conversation, you know, just really drew your interest where you decided to devote so much energy into Regenerate Oklahoma and sharing these stories?
1: Um, I think... You know, learning, there, there's so many people in this space and, and with different skill sets. There's geomorphologists and soil scientists and obviously farmers and ranchers. Um, and so many folks that I've connected to across the country and internationally are saying, you know, what's really missing is is truly changing the narrative. And that, obviously, I believe in film. I believe in the power of film. It's the most powerful way of getting a message out there. And we've, we've just we've got to get this out to the masses and making the direct connectivity to the microbiome within our soil, directly to the microbiome within our own human system is really kind of the aha moment and connecting the dots um, within rural communities. Um, obviously, in cities as well, but I, I think so much of my work is creating a connectivity between rural and, and urban communities. You know, in addition to like, the United States spends more on healthcare than any other developed country in the world. We're we're leading in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and autoimmune disease and cancer, and recognizing that the solution to that is regenerating our soil and creating that connectivity from soil health in relation to human health, um, we know what to do. The solution is there. I think, you know, we're dealing with so many draconian powers and um, all of which can feel very abstract and disconnected. And so coming back to Oklahoma and, and finding a place that is more land-heavy and, and very community-driven and handshake-driven and trust-driven, and um, it's, it's a place where people make deals based on handshake and trust and so i think coming back here and recognizing such a massive issue collectively and and recognizing that that is our common ground and then finding you know the major soil health ambassadors across the state and saying okay we could actually make a difference in one particular state by virtue of you know the fact that it is community driven that we are land heavy and people are really waking up to to our food system
0: you mentioned sharing the story sharing the narrative and you and i both know that there are billions of dollars invested in maintaining the narrative what are some of the challenges you've come across or seen in changing the narrative
1: that we are feeding the world um you know, there, this, this all really happened really at the beginning of the green revolution. And and this idea that if we were to use these chemicals, we could, you know, our, our yields would rise. Um, we would make money significantly faster and, and all of this would be feeding the world. Um, that is completely false. There's a famine in sub-Saharan Africa. As we speak, millions of people are starving. We're not feeding them. And we're not feeding them because we don't have the political infrastructure to do so. You know, clean food, clean, whether it's organic or or in best case scenario, regenerative, is all grown on five acres or less. So, um, you know, we're trapped in a system that, you know, for people to really understand, 40% of our food is wasted. Um, Less than 1% of our farmers are eating their own food. I I mean, say that twice, just that alone just really reveals the insanity of our food system. Um, States like Kansas, of which is 90% farmland, is importing 90% of their food. You know, Monsanto recently sold to Bear. Monsanto owned 80% of our global food chain. They sold to bear for something around $68 billion, which is really, if you really think about it, not a lot of money in comparison to that level of power. And, you know, a really important point is, is the fact that, you know, why would a company like Monsanto that essentially has taken out all of the nutrients of our plants sold to a company, a German company called Bayer that sells medicine? And that, that to me is is really an issue of homeland security. Um, and so again, it's just, you know, there's, there is billions of dollars in this space. And the issue is bringing it back home from state to state for each of us individually to be part of changing the narrative of creating hyper-local, healthy food systems. So we're certainly up against a lot, but you know what i do see is that like i said before i mean the the question and and the issue of dealing with so many of these diseases and now a pandemic we're we're wanting to to reconnect to just our own relationship to what we put in our bodies absolutely
0: can you expand on that statistic uh, less than 1% of farmers are eating their own food
1: yeah i mean we're not growing food we're growing you know plastic <laughs> And corn and corn that's not edible and and soybeans and, you know, and, and sometimes meat that's sold overseas that we then buy back. I mean, that's, it's just, it's crazy. And so it's just, we don't, the problem is really this culture of convenience as well as cheap food and really understanding the cascading effects of what cheap food means. And that's, that's part of the problem as well in terms of the narrative, because, you know, if we had stronger markets and more farmers were actually producing this clean food, those prices would then go down. And so, um, again, that's that that is going to take all of us, for t- consumers, to build more demand and to get creative in, in building out stronger markets in order for this food to be less expensive. So, yeah, I mean, we're we're it's an industrial complex, right? And and so we're just we're not in a place of growing food. That's and that's part of the problem. But like I said, I mean, I mean, true clean food is grown on five acres or less. So there's no there's no shortage of land. There's shortage of demand as well as labor. Labor's labor's definitely part of our of our challenge that we're working on as well.
0: So speaking of true clean food and demand, if you had a magic wand, let's fast forward to 2030. What would you like to see regenerative farming look like?
1: Oh, mainstream, um, a common term, people would understand it, they would see brands that would have a regenerative label on it, we would see scanners on our phone that would show nutrient density specific to each carrot that we walk through a grocery store, we would know exactly what that what's in that carrot and where it came from. We would see a drop in these diseases. We would recognize that schools and shifts in, in these mental issues that we're dealing with and behavior issues with kids would be changing. Yeah, I, I we'd just we'd recognize the direct correlation between our health and our farms and our food. But really really having it be mainstream, and um, really beyond organic. Absolutely.
0: And when you're speaking to farmers to enroll them into thinking regeneratively what do those conversations look like
1: uh, it really it really varies I think the important thing is to meet farmers where they are uh, no one wants to be told what to do I certainly don't want to be told what to do or shamed in any way um, it's really important to all of us that there's a deep respect and reverence to farmers I certainly have it everyone on my team, Has it? We're working directly with farmers themselves, and you know, gently and and sensitively. They farmers have done the best that they could have done thus far, and and much of this is based on succession and and doing what their fathers did, and what their grandfathers did, and grandmothers, and um, it's been passed down, and it's very it's deep seated, it's as deep as as religion, these beliefs in relation to how they work their land. And again, it can be an invasive thing to to say, you know, we're bringing a new idea to you, and we'd like you to change your operation. And so part of the challenge is is creating economic incentives, growing food, growing crops that can um, really change their numbers is really important. And again, that that's going to take Shareholders and CEOs of different companies, people getting creative to be part of the farming community, um, investing in farms, investing in land. We in Oklahoma, we've got a rise, I think it's like 1200% in foreign land ownership. So we need companies really caring about local land and empowering local farmers. Um, and economically, you know, understandably, I mean, I think Oklahoma is really one of the top states that's dealing with major bankruptcies. So what does it look like within a state for people to say, I want to I care about our farmers and our land and keep things local and build out market, markets locally?
0: Well, I appreciate that. And I know you said nobody likes to be told what to do. But my last question is this, is that if you could share some advice, words of wisdom, recommendations with the audience, and it doesn't have to be specifically to regenerative farming, it could be more broadly speaking, what would it be?
1: Uh, I think that the most powerful way to change is is to listen and not to know. Like I said, that's that's our approach when we connect with farmers, and I think I think it's a rule of thumb anyway. It just as a human being, and you know, in this case, in relationship to regenerative agriculture and farming, is to know your farmer. There's a direct link within each of us individually. And our well-being simply by knowing where your food comes from and supporting those that are creating chemical-free nutrient-dense regenerative food as well as stewarding the land um i myself have just become just so respectful of farmers and and their effort and you know their their tenacity and shouldering through change in climate and being just so incredibly resilient Um, through what they've had to work through within our food system and industrial complex, as well as now a new, completely different invitation to um, creating regenerative agriculture and what that looks
0: like. I appreciate that. And before we go, I'd like to leave the audience with this while I was researching uh, for the show. I came across this quote by Wendell Berry. People are fed by the food industry, which pays no attention to health, and are treated by the health industry, which pays no attention to food, which I think is very, very illustrative of our conversation today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Wendell's incredible. He also has another short and sweet one, which is like, if you eat, you're into agriculture.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nicole, (laughs) I, I, I like that. I appreciate that. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: Thank you so much. Glad to be with you.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media, where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter, where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the cleantech green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.